Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read to you the whole section, and then we're going to read it again as we break each section down tonight. Paul goes on and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that this that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, as you know, that is a longer section than we normally cover. But you're going to see why I think we'll be able to get through this tonight. This is the beginning of Paul's doctrinal portion of this letter. In chapters 3 and 4 are Paul's doctrinal portion. Now, doctrine is not seen as fun, I'll be honest with you. But listen, it's necessary. Because if we're willing to study and to wade through doctrine, we're going to find tremendous blessing when you do that. And you're going to come out stronger. I want to have you put a bookmark here in Galatians and go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. It's a passage that you've heard me teach on a lot, but I want to pull out a different aspect of it. Um, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Uh, a passage you've heard me use to teach on the fact that God designed that there are people that He's gifted to equip the church for the work of the ministry, and the church is to build each other up as each part does their work. But there's something that Paul says here in the midst of this that I don't want you to miss. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 11. And He, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look closely what he says. He's given us these apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers to equip the body for the work of ministry. Why? So that the body would come to a deeper understanding of who God is and so that they wouldn't be tossed to and fro by all the different waves of teaching that's out there. And they would become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And he talks about the fact that there's other doctrines out there and you need to be equipped in the word itself to be able to be not susceptible to those false teachings that are out there. 
And one of the saddest things is most people in church today, they believe enough to be saved, but they really don't understand the fullness of doctrine. And that's why they're susceptible to the cults that are out there. That's why a lot of people think that the people that knock on your door are really Christian when they're not. Because they say a lot of things that we Christians say. They use terms that we Christians use. But they're not Christian because we don't fully understand the depth of doctrine. Uh, like you've heard me say before, if I were to ask most people, uh, do, they, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? They would say yes. But if I were to ask most Christians, and I'm not going to put you on the spot here tonight, but if I were to ask most Christians to tell me where the Bible says that he was born of a virgin, most Christians would go, um, it's in there. <laughs> These are the same people that quote that God helps those who help themselves, which is not in there. And there's a lot of people that really don't understand the depth of doctrine and why they believe what they believe and where the scripture says that. And here's the danger of believing what you've been told. Somebody else can come tell you something else. And you're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind. And what happened to these Galatians? They had been taught by the Lord through Paul. The church had begun. They had become saved. Someone else came in and added something to what they had been told. And because they weren't solid in doctrine, they were susceptible to it. And it was messing them up. So, folks, part of my responsibility is to teach you doctrine. You need to understand the depth of what the Bible says and who God is and who you are and what does salvation really mean. And you need to be settled in that because otherwise you're going to be susceptible to all sorts of stuff that sounds good. And if you don't know the scriptures for yourself, you won't ever grow up into a full knowledge of who Jesus is and who you are in Christ. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, it's available to you. We have always thought over the years that only those who are going to attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ are going to be the preachers and the teachers. Uh-uh, that's not God's design for you. So, going back to Galatians chapter 3, Paul is now teaching doctrine to them. Alright, now, so far he's been addressing his readers with a central question. Is it Christ Jesus or the law? Now, let me just say this to you, it can't be both. Because they have different purposes and they work completely different. So I'm going to stop now for a second, though, and open it up for a little bit of discussion. Why? Can I, besides the fact that they work differently, how do the law and Jesus work differently? Well, the law condemns. The law condemns. How does the law condemn? Well, first of all, nobody can attain to it. No one can attain, attain to it. Exactly. So when the law says, thou shalt not... It is correct. It is correct. But it's not. It's not. It, it cannot empower you. No. What does it actually do? Actually, it's a mirror. It creates. You look at it and you see. The, it definitely is a mirror. Keep going, Steve. It, it actually creates more sin because it's just human nature. When someone tells you not to do something, what do we do? We now, do it more. Exactly. So not only it is holy and righteous and good, and it does show you where you really are, but it actually doesn't have the power to make the change in you. It actually has the power to condemn. condemn because now, because of our flesh, because of our fallen nature, we now want to do the exact same thing we were just told we can't. Now, what's the difference between us, that, and Christ? Christ comes to give us righteousness, but how does He do it? By fulfilling the law. He fulfills the law. And you're going to see as Paul breaks this down, it's going to get more and more clear. He not only gives us that righteousness, as he comes to indwell us, he actually becomes the power to live it out. But you're going to see, as we get into a little bit further tonight, that many of us 
are a little bit different than the Galatians. See, the Galatians, they came from a very pagan society. You say, well, Jim, well, how's that different from us? Well, stick with me. They came to faith later on in life. They came out of a very wicked pagan culture, and their salvation was radical. Their lives were radically changed because of what God did, and we're going to see some of that tonight. Many of us, maybe in this room, came to faith in church, growing up in church, understanding the gospel and trusting Christ as our Savior. We haven't seen that radical transformation, which has actually hurt us in some ways, because... As you've already heard me say and hopefully understand, there are a lot of people that are members of churches that are still not redeemed and they can play the game. And we have not really seen radical transformation to be an evidence of salvation. And usually when that person gets radically transformed, we can start to consider them the Jesus freak. And you're going to see tonight as we get into this study that Paul is going to appeal to their experience of what God did. And how the Spirit of God living within them made this radical change. And then from there, hopefully we'll understand a little bit more of what it means to live in the Spirit. The issue really isn't as much Christ versus the law as we're going to be moving into now. And Paul's moving into now life in the Spirit versus the law. And we'll get right to you in a sec, Mark. All right. But, but I see your hand. But, but I want you to not miss what I'm saying. It's not, I've trusted Christ as my Savior which set me free from the law. Yes, but there's way more than that. We're going to be looking now at life in the spirit versus the law. Do you understand the little bit of a progression we're making here? It's not a, I'm not losing the law to get myself righteous. I know I'm not. Jesus saved me. It's beyond that. That same Jesus that saved you has come to live within you to empower you to live it. Here's where I want us to begin to move into doctrine, into a deeper understanding I want you to now longer look at this as Christ versus the law. I want you to look at law or your own effort trying to earn God's approval versus life in the spirit. Okay? Mark, go ahead. You just wrapped it up. Well, what I was going to say is <laughs> with Jesus, we now have the greatest motivation ever to live by the law because instead of having to live by the law, he says, love me and show me by that. And that gives us that feeling of love that, okay, I can carry this out today because I love him so much, I'm going to try. I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit. Okay, tweak. Here's why. <laughs> if we still try to live in our own strength for Jesus, no. prove my love, you still can't. No. Apart from him actually doing it, and this is where it gets hard for us, but you have to go back to your salvation. When there, there came a point where you realized, I can't save myself, and you believe that Jesus could, you asked him to do it, and he did. And you know something happened. You know you were forgiven. You know that the Spirit came to live within you. You have to learn to yield to him in that same way on a daily basis as you deal with sin, as you deal with struggles of life, obedience, faith, whatever. There has to be that continual, I believe it, I'm trusting you to do it. If you say, Lord, I'm going to do this for you, I love you so much, you still got the old nature, or at least your flesh is still battling against you. Yes, ma'am. And, and if you've ever been in a situation where you dislike someone to the point of pain, then you understand that only Christ can love them. And when you do turn that over to Him, it is amazing. I mean, you see that. I mean, that's a that's a major thing in your life. But I can understand that on a daily basis, those little dislikes or those little irritations or whatever you go through. If we will momentarily give Christ the yep. power, because well, He's got the power. We give Him the the, the, the permission, the if you will. 
Yes. Yep. All right. That's a good setup for where we're going to go. This is what Paul's wanting to lay out now. All right. So go to Galatians chapter three. Look closely at verses one through five. He says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, I need to stop right there and clarify this term. This term that he uses in the Greek, which is translated bewitched you, actually has a root in paganism. This was a term that Paul's readers knew very well. They'd come out of a background, background of paganism that believed very strongly in sorcery and witchcraft. And back in this day, there was a belief that someone, certain people, had the power to give you the evil eye. And they... It, we're afraid of the evil eye because they thought that if that person gave you the evil eye, they could drain your life from you. You ever heard of the evil eye? Oh, yeah. This is where it comes from. They really. But now part of that belief in the evil eye was in order for the evil eye to work, you had to let them get your gaze and then keep it there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if I try to give the evil eye to Susan over here, she could look away. Right. She could look away. She, she'd get it right back. Just be yeah. careful. Yeah. <laughs> she, 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 but, but they would look away. But a part of this was when someone had the power to give you the evil eye, they believed in witchcraft and sorcery, some of these people would be all of a sudden sucked in. Kind of, you, remember, you remember on Jungle Book, the Disney's Jungle Book, where the snake was telling, you know, Mowgli, Look into my eyes, you know, kind of a thing. It's that kind of a thing. So what Paul is saying is, who took your focus off of Jesus and put it on them? Do you see it? Who sucked your eyes away from what it was supposed to be focused to and drew it to them? That's what this means when he says, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, in order to understand a lot of these questions, we need to go back to a section of Scripture we looked at in the very beginning. All right? Go back with me to Acts chapter 14. If you remember way back in the beginning, we were looking at the cities that Paul uh, was used of God in his first missionary journey to go bring the gospel to and where these churches started and who these Galatians are that he was writing to. And I'm going to just read a small section of that, chapter 14, verses 1 through 23. Look at what it says. Some of you caught that. All right. Chapter 14. But I want you to pay close attention to the fact that the Spirit of God came with power, there were miracles, there was great suffering and persecution, and when you see all that happened in these cities, you're all of a sudden going to understand these questions a whole lot more that he asked them and reminds them of. It says, Now at Iconium they entered together in the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. 
He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was sitting, oh, sorry, was at the entrance to the city, was, uh, was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifices to the, with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on to, with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Presidia. I will just stop there. We'll stop in verse 23. But you look closely now. Everywhere he went, the power of God was manifest. People got saved and miracles were done that God used to get their attention. Yet at the same time, there was suffering and persecution. And you see the fact that he was even stoned and left for dead in one place. And he got back up, went back into the city. And then they went back to the same cities where they had been chased out. And go back now to Galatians chapter 3. And listen again to these questions. He's appealing to the experience that they had in coming to Christ. He says, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Talking about the public preaching that was happening. And he said, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, what's the obvious answer? Hearing by faith. They heard the message preached. They believed. And immediately the Spirit of God came to indwell them. And things were starting to happen. And then he goes on and says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit and now being perfected by the flesh? And we'll deal with that in a second. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's going back and he's appealing to their experience and he's saying, remember how you came to faith. It was simply because you heard the message, you believed it, and God confirmed it with his Spirit. Why on earth are you thinking now that these false teachers, you're believing what they're teaching, that you need to add anything to that? If God did what he did in saving you and the miracles that you saw and the way that they radically opposed the people that are against God, opposed, it wasn't because you all of a sudden were doing certain things. It's because you believed. Remember how it all started. Simply by believing what God said. That's very important for us. All right. Now, let's go back to verse three, though. Because I want to ask ourselves the same question. And here's where we're going to take a little bit of a veer from our experience being a little bit different from the Galatians, like I hinted at. 
They had clearly begun their relationship with God by faith. The question is, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or completed by the flesh? See, these people had clearly begun their relationship with God by faith in Jesus. But since then, some others had come in to teach them that Jesus, that Jesus and His Spirit within them was not enough. Now, I'm going to say it to you this way again, because I want you to hear it, because this is where it's going to help us. They had been taught that Jesus and His Spirit within them was not enough. All right, I'm going to say it one more time. They had been taught that Jesus and His Spirit within them was not enough. Go back with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And look at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Alright, then he goes on and says, By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, I love how the NIV words it. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. And then it goes on and talks about how because of God living within us, we have the ability to experience the divine nature of God living his life through us. You're not going to become a God. Yet, God himself is living within you. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living within you. And if you would learn to believe it and live it by faith, you'll be amazed at what God would do. Yes, ma'am. Going back to verse 2, though, is how it happens. Yep. Grace and peace multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you're not studying Him, mm -hmm. you're not going to get it. Well, and that's the thing is, the Galatians had people come in afterwards and say, yeah, but. The problem is, many of us, if you're like me, grew up in church. I trusted Christ as an eight-year-old, and it was real. I mean, my salvation wasn't one of those, I'm not sure if it really happened. I know I got saved today. And I've experienced him coming to and living within me. Yet at the same time, those same people that taught me about salvation were the ones who added that they were Jesus plus. See, this was a different group of teachers that had come in. But many of us had been taught what we're going to talk about by the same people that taught us about salvation. You see, we were told after salvation to focus on saying no to sin, weren't we? I know I was. We were told that you've been born again now by Jesus, so you need to say no to sin. And where have we been taught when we've been taught to say no to sin? Where were we were taught to focus? Ourselves. On ourselves and the sin and trying to do a better job of not sinning. Wrong. How, anybody ever have that? Wasn't that what you were taught to? Yeah. How'd that work out? Oh, you beat yourself up for years, didn't you? I know I did. Oh, and oh, I'd make vows and promises, and Lord, I'll do better. Oh, God, please forgive me. I even got to the point where I started to wonder, you know, I had to have reached 490-something, whatever that number is. You know, that 70, you know, someone else been there? You did the math? What's 70 times 7? Because I had to have crossed that number. It's in a day. It's in a, it's in a day. <laughs> but folks, here's what I want you to hear. We didn't have someone else come in and say something different. Unfortunately, and, and, and they just didn't see it themselves. 
I myself, early in the ministry, would teach those same things when I was teaching youth as a youth pastor and whatever. You know, I would say, look, oh, because of all that God has done for you, you need to now live for Him. But it's that if you love me, you will obey me. Yeah, well, and the sad thing is that passage that you just quoted from is in John chapter 14. And it's actually, if you look in the context, listen to what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll obey me and my father will give you the Holy Spirit. He's talking about salvation. The command that he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments is the command to believe that he's the one that God sent. See, because right now, if I love him, I'll obey him, and then he'll give me the Spirit, and I've already got the Spirit. Do you see the context and how we've been, that passage preached to us out of context? But it's also, if you love him, you will obey him. And that's... Exactly. Later on, there's a passage that talks about it in that way. Exactly. If you do focus on the love relationship, not trying to prove you love him, but love him, you, you will. And by the way, you're jumping ahead, Becky, so don't, yes. do, don't do that again. <laughs> Teacher's pet. Actually, she is. And I'm, I'm proud to admit it. She is the teacher's pet. Some of us, listen to this. We were taught the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the message, Galatians 5, 22? But the preachers then taught us, you need to be more patient. You need to be more loving. You need to be more, you remember? And we would walk out of there saying, I need more patience. Or I need, and then many of us were taught, well, don't pray for patience. Remember that? Folks, let me say this to you again. After having begun in the Spirit, what makes you think that you can finish it in your own effort? Pride. We did not, yeah, definitely pride, our flesh and false teaching. Doctrine was not fully taught to us. We understood enough doctrine to have people get saved, but we really didn't understand the full doctrine of what really happened at the cross. You have been given righteousness already. Yet I didn't grow up feeling like I was righteous. I knew I was going to heaven, but boy, I needed to do a better job yeah. of being righteous. But I never had anybody teach me the full doctrine of the fact that I am righteous already. Now, does that mean I'm sinless? No, don't hear that I'm sinless. But at the same time, and God's going to work on that. That should not be my focus. The evidence of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit is only produced by the Spirit, not by me trying to be more patient or more kind or whatever. Now let's go to the passages that Becky wants to, to, to talk about. Go to Philippians. You're in Galatians now. Go to Philippians chapter 1 and look at verse 6 and listen closely to these passages that talk about how, I'm put it this way, the Holy Spirit in us now takes the place of the law to control our behavior. All right? The Holy Spirit within us now takes the place of the law to control your behavior. It's very important. The question is not the law versus Jesus the question is the law versus life in the spirit, which is Jesus, but it's him living his life through. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Go, someone read that for us good and loud. And I'm sure of this, that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, wait a minute. How could Paul be sure that he who began the good work in you would bring it to completion? Well, what if that person didn't do a good job? That isn't the issue. That isn't the issue. Who is the one doing the good work? Who's bringing you to completion? Christ. Christ. Yeah, He is. Now, remember, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. He planned ahead of time for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And whose job is it? It's His. Now, listen to me closely. 
He will do many different things and use many different methods to get you there. Sometimes it might even mean taking you home early. Please. Well, <laughs> you don't want to be taken home the way early the way I'm talking because it means a loss of reward. Taking you home early because the Bible talks about how there are those who walk in continual disobedience. What happens? Some are sick and some are dead. Well, how come? Because God is in the process of conforming you to his image. And as a loving father, he's going to start off soft and slow and say, let me have it. Let me do this. And if you continue to disobey, you continue to yield, he has to amp up the discipline. Maybe take away the car keys or whatever else it is and get your attention. Maybe lay you up in a bed for a little bit of while to get your attention. But ultimately, he's going to take you home, the Bible says. But the issue isn't whether or not you're doing a better job. The issue is, are you yielding to the one who has come to live within you and has already planned to make you into his image? Folks, I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to, in the same way in which you received Christ, believe that he will make you into what he wants to make you into. Be confident that he who began this good work in you is the one who's going to finish it. Yes, ma'am. But that makes it feel as if, if I'm not getting it right, took me home early because I wasn't getting it right. What do you mean by not getting it right? Doing it right. Oh, no, don't. You're, see, again, you're still thinking, you're taking your, you got to take your eyes off of you. What did you do right to get saved? Nothing. You just nothing. believed. You did nothing. You just believed it. Right. And you, act, you received it. You accepted it. You received it. Right? Right. Same way. Live this Christian life. This is, this is law versus life in the spirit. You have to just believe that he will. As, as one preacher put it this way, he said, when I stopped trying to get better, I got better. Amen. Well, let's keep letting the scripture talk to us here. Let's go to doctrine some more. You're in Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Someone else read for us Galatians 5 verse 16. Then, I have study yesterday. I say then, walk mm -hmm. in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's good. That, that translation is excellent too. Listen to what it says. He says, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. By the way, how do you walk in the spirit? You yield to that same spirit that lives within you and you let him do it. Uh, we're not going to turn there because you already, we looked at it last time we got together. But Galatians 2.20, what did Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the one who died for me. Folks, you got it? This is hard for us because, see, it wasn't that someone came in afterwards and added. This has been taught us from the moment we got saved. Isn't hasn't it? That's why it's really hard for us because this is all we've ever known. We don't even realize it. That a lot of our, our, our phraseology in, in Christianity is laced with this and we don't even know it. We pray prayers that say, Lord, help me to. He doesn't want to help you. He wants to do it. We don't even realize we're doing it. Whenever you say things like, I need to, or no. It's, you got to get your eyes off of you and believe that he will do it. It goes back to a renewal of your mind. It's a daily renewing of your mind. Yes. Yes, ma'am. You know, Jim, oftentimes you need to find yourself, it sounds haughty. Mm -hmm. At times that sounds haughty. That, that's not... I mean, you're speaking in the Holy Spirit that, that attitude, and I know that God can do that in you, but when you're with people that think they have to try, they have to try, when they hear you, that sounds like a hard thing.
Yes, but again, well, let's go down that road because I have been preaching series on grace in churches around the country and I've had pastors come up to me and they'd say this, Jim, I know what you're saying is true. And I know that it's in the Bible and I know that that's truth, but you can't tell them. They literally will pull me aside and say, you can't tell them because they'll abuse this grace. And who's... Well, whose problem is that? Well, between them and God. Exactly. Let me take you to 1 John chapter 5. Let me give you a verse to add to your doctrinal solidity if you want. 1 John chapter 5. I did one of those for you, Allison. I know you always get when I, when I make words up. So, 1 John, listen closely to 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. Trust me, James chapter 3 verse 1 is very clear. Not everyone should desire to be a teacher because we'll be held in higher accountability. Whenever we say, thus says the Lord, it better be thus said the Lord. And we have to be real careful. The Bible talks about the danger for those who lead others astray. And you know how he treated the Pharisees who were leading people astray. But listen, when it deals with this whole issue of when you teach on grace, that people will go crazy and they'll run them up. Listen to 1 John 5.18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God, meaning Jesus, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Does this say that you don't ever sin again? No. But what it's saying is this. If you have truly been born again, the Spirit of God within you is dealing with that issue. And He is the one who's conforming you into His image. And trust me, I know it's hard for us to fathom because all our lives we've been taught that we have to do our part. This is why we've had it harder than the Galatians. See, the Galatians had the truth of the gospel preached to them in clarity, and they saw it demonstrated because they came from a lifestyle of paganism into faith in Christ. Their lives were radically changed. Miracles were happening, and God was demonstrating His power. And it was so drastic that people were resisting it and trying to stop it and put them to death, which, as you know, solidifies for the people that are truly saved, you know, the reality of their faith. And then later on, someone came in and said, yeah, but... You also need to keep the law. And Paul's dealing with that. Unfortunately, many of us, the same people that told us about salvation, told us that we now had to do our part. And, yes. And in the society that we live in, not talking spiritually, but everything that we want in life, we have to try. We have to do better. We have to work harder to achieve the higher goal. This is just completely opposite of a world. It sure is opposite. It's hard for us to swallow something. It sure is. And because we, we always like to say, well, in the world, it works like this. And then, isn't that what we've heard the preachers say a lot as well? They try to associate how things are in the world with how it should be. I remember I actually uh, was talking to this one guy who was wanting me to consider going back into the pastorate. And I said to him, I said, well, if I ever did, and I said, please don't ever hear me putting my foot back in the door. <laughs> but if I ever did, it would require such a rewrite of the church constitution and bylaws before I would even consider it, because since I've come out of the pastorate into what God's done, I now realize most of what the church expects the pastor to do has never been God's job description. And it would be a situation that would require total rewrite and the people really understanding this is what God has called and gifted me to do. This man's response was, well, I tell my kids that in their jobs, there's always going to be 60% we like and 40% we hate. And you just got to do, do that. And I said, you're still trying to associate the secular workforce with the New Testament church. That's the problem. Amen. 
I had men tell me, well, I work so many hours a week and I expect the pastor... You can expect what you want. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm getting at. Folks, without realizing it, in, in our lives, we actually have allowed man's way of looking at things to creep in. And we don't realize how much it's there in all of us, myself included. The church is not a democracy. The church has become a democracy, which has never been God's design. You'll see that he appointed elders, spiritual leaders in each of the churches. Folks, let me just say it to you this way so we can keep moving here. This is going to be a process of us learning doctrine. We need to learn doctrine so that we're not tossed to and fro by this. And we need to begin with us having the Spirit of God say, Are I, ask, help us, am I yielding to Him in faith or am I trying to still help Him and doing my part? Now, the Bible talks about obedience. Some people are like, well, well, aren't we supposed to... Trust me, the Spirit of God within you, if you're truly born again, He will get you there. He will change your desires. All that will take place. It doesn't make any sense to you, but you've got to trust me. He will. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Jim, one more thing. Sure. I think that Satan is always more efficient than feeling guilty. So that's a feeling that we hear often about. Yep. Well, that would make me feel guilty. I mean, you know, that comes straight from hell. Yep. The Lord doesn't use guilt. He doesn't. It doesn't mean we're not guilty of, at times, but He doesn't use guilt to, 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 to do things. He uses truth. All right, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember, it's tied to where we just left off. Did you, did you have this happen because you believed or because you did certain things? Well, it's because we believed. Exactly. In the same way, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, we're not going to spend too much time here because we've covered a lot of this already before in our Roman study and other parts of this. But let me just remind you of Genesis 15, 6, where it says, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. Now, what did he believe? If you remember back then, he had been questioning, you know, and uh, it looks like Eliezer, Eliezer of Damascus is gonna be my heir. And God comes and says, no, a son from your own body is gonna be your heir. And verse six says, Abraham believed him and God gave him righteousness right then because of his belief. Now, if you keep reading, God then says, let me give you a little bit more. Know for a fact that your descendants are going to go into slavery. They're going to be there for 400 years. They're going to come out with great wealth. And Abraham didn't believe. He goes, how can I know this? And that's when God walks between the pieces for him. Exactly. Well, he didn't look righteous. Relax. Relax. He who began a good work in Abraham is going to finish it. In time, he became to look more and more righteous, didn't he? Didn't he? But... He had to go through the process of the Father shaping him in God's way. That's why, don't we get mad sometimes when people try to tell us how to raise our kids? Well, if you would just do it this way. And you sit there and you think, you don't know my kid. Yes, there are some things that need work. But I've got a plan here. My wife and I have a plan and we're working it through and we're working on the things that we're working on. And we'll get to some of those things in time. And you also know within your family, if you've got more than one kid, you don't treat them all the same way in the same way. You have to understand and you have to walk through and prayerfully, how do we handle this situation? And prayerfully, how do we handle this situation? If you try to raise your kids with a set of rules and formulas and regulations, you're going to have rebellion. 
And many Christians grew up that way, raised their families that way, and the kids walked away. But if you understand the biblical way of getting to know them and to love them and to let them know you love them and then begin to then say, how can we work together to line ourselves up with what God wants to do? In the same way, folks, stop looking around at everybody else and how they ought to be there by now. If I were to ask you, how many of you would agree that God's not done with you? We'd all raise our hands. Yet we treat each other like God should be done with them. Why aren't they there by now? How come Ron isn't acting more mature? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> We've missed you. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? If you really understand doctrine, it's going to actually lower your blood pressure, folks. Because you're going to understand that the God who's working on you is also working on them. And he's going to get them there. And he has a plan and a purpose. And he might not be in as much a hurry as some of us think. Have you ever thought about the fact that this Abraham who had been given righteousness went through this process of lying and saying, she's not my wife, she's my sister, and he did it twice. But God didn't give up. God had a plan. And eventually that same guy ends up in chapter 22 willing to lay his son on an altar and kill him because God said to, what a man of faith. Yeah, but he hadn't been always that way. Well, he got better. No, he didn't. God began to do his work in him. He'll get his work done in you. If you stop trying to help him, you might even see it a little bit faster in your life. <laughs> All right. So when was he circumcised in Genesis 15, verse six is when he believed God and God gave him righteousness by his faith. When was Je when was Abraham circumcised? Does anybody know? It was actually it, it was actually it was after not. It was actually uh, um, chapter 17. Go to chapter 17 real quick. Genesis chapter 17. Thank you for making sure that I was saying what my brain was thinking. Isaac's not born until chapter 18. Arch, you know, chapter 18 is when, when he's born. Huh? It's Ishmael. It was after Ishmael was born. Chapter 17, we're not going to take the time to look there, but you look at chapter 17, verses 1 through 14, is when he institutes the covenant of circumcision. So here we are. Hang on for a second. Abraham was already given righteousness because he believed. He wasn't circumcised until later on. So anybody that's putting their faith in what they did for righteousness, the Bible already proves. Wait a minute. It doesn't work that way. And this is what I love about what Paul's doing. The Judaizers, the ones that had come in and taught afterwards, put a lot of emphasis on Moses and the law. Paul says, let's go back even further. Let's go to the beginning of, of the Jews. Let's go to the father Abraham. Let's start there, guys. You want to keep saying Moses and the law? Why don't we go back to the beginning? Abraham was given righteousness by faith. And that said, and then God promised him he'd be the father of many nations, meaning more than just the Jews and the Gentiles as well. And they would be his children through faith. All right. So there's one thing here in Galatians 3 that I want to pull out before we move on to our last section here. Look at. Verse 8 of Galatians 3. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So when did scripture preach to Abraham? 
We don't have Abraham reading. In the beginning was the word. Yeah, good for you. The, the scripture is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh. Folks, Jesus didn't change God's word. He didn't just speak God's word. He didn't just write God's word. He didn't just live God's word. He is the word of God. Oh, wait a minute. That might help us. You mean the one who wrote this, who knows it from cover to cover, is living inside of you and me? Is there a chance that maybe the one who lives within you is able to line you up with it, even though you haven't even fully learned it yet? Now, please don't misunderstand. The Bible talks about the, the importance of reading the Word and studying the Word. But at the same time, what does Romans 2 say? That God reveals His law to those who didn't even have the law of God. He wrote it on their hearts. There was no law when Job was a righteous man. Exactly. Folks, I want you to really start getting locked into this. It's no longer the law versus Christ. It's law versus life in the Spirit. And you don't want law get in the way of your life in the Spirit. See, how many of us have made the vows to read God's Word every day? And I'm going to do it. And you did it because you know you'll, be, you'll get closer to God. And you, maybe He'll love you even more because, you know, you're one of the few that do this. And, and you did it in hopes that you'd become a better person. And by the way, how, how'd your vow work out? I still remember... I remember uh, Becky and I went to a marriage uh, conference. This, whew, I don't know how many years ago, back when she liked me. And um, actually, I'm kidding. She loves me. Um, but we went to a marriage conference in Orlando, and I remember making the vow we were going to pray together every night. Oh, and we meant it. I don't think we even lasted a couple of nights. I'm, I'm sort of ashamed and not ashamed to tell you. I'm ashamed because my pride wants me to be ashamed, but I'm not ashamed because I'm just like you. Folks, this is where we're going to go in the last section here. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, look at what he says now. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, listen, all right. This next section serves as a great reminder and can be a great relief to us who still try to earn God's approval through our obedience. Do you want to try to get points with God by your behavior? Go ahead and try, the Bible says. Oh, by the way, the law demands perfection. Look, that's what he's saying here. For all who rely on works of the law, your effort to do the right thing are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. By the way, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Listen to what the law says. You want to earn 
God's approval by what you do and how hard you work or how much effort you put into it. Even if your motives are to prove your love for him. If you want to do it in your own strength, okay, you want to go there, but you're going to be under a curse. Because the Bible says cursed is everyone who doesn't keep it all perfectly. How many times have we promised to do better next time but failed? And how often, listen to this part, how often have we striven to be perfect but still feel like it's not enough? You been there? I'll be honest with you. I can tell you from personal experience, there have been periods of my time where in my estimation of my holiness, I did real good. But I still didn't feel like it was enough. I still didn't feel like it was enough. You ever been there? You know why? Because that's cursed living, folks. That's cursed living. I'm going to ask you a question. Which would you rather? Being given righteousness when you believe in faith or earning it yourself by being perfect? Yeah, you, you better choose number one. Here's why. Because if you have ever broken one of God's laws, it's already too late for you to be righteous through the second option. It's already too late. That's how foolish it is to still think that's why it's so sad that we who grew up in church had been taught option number two as a part of a Christian life. We were taught faith alone through Jesus, nothing you do to be saved, you just trust him. But everything else was still our effort, our energy, you do it for God. You owe it to him too. God has done this for you, so you ought to. You ever heard that kind of preaching? Folks, without realizing it, the preachers were saying, you now too in your own strength, in your own effort, you do it. You can't. The same preacher should have been saying the same way in which you can't save yourself. You all, oh, by the way, as you now begin this journey in faith, you can't live it. But I got good news for you. The same one who died for you and give you righteousness lives within you and he wants to live it for you. And you just got to let him. Vance Havner puts it real well. He said, there has only been one Christian life that has ever been lived. And he wants to live it again through you and through me. But you have to let him. Oh, folks, you're missing out on the promised land. You're missing out on the promised land when you keep trying to strike the rock when he said all you got to do now is just ask. Speak to the rock. That's the whole picture there. Moses was told to strike the rock because he had to be struck for the water to flow, for the spirit to be given. Jesus had to be struck, but he's been struck. It's done. Now when God said to Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. He duplicated the previous way and in his own effort tried to get God to do stuff and he missed out on the promised land. That was the consequence. He still got to go to heaven, and, but he missed out on the promised land. Many Christians today are missing out on the promised land. Oh, you're going to heaven, but you're going to miss out if you keep trying in your own effort to get God to do things for you. All you need to do is speak to him. Ask, believe, and watch what he does. Yes, ma'am. Praise the Spirit. We don't get them if we're shackled to the law. No, nope. you're we right. We can't love. We can't have joy and peace because we're not living in the freedom that he wants us to have because we're stuck in the chains. Yep. I remember the first time I read Galatians. And as I was reading and I read the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was sitting there and I was going, oh, give me a break. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, a little voice came to me and said, uh, now that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It didn't have your name on it. <laughs> now the Holy Spirit is in you, but that's His. Yes. And it's yours if you believe that He's in you. Yeah. And I, I was dumbfounded. I was absolutely dumbfounded. The Holy Spirit, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's in me. And all I have to do is say thank you that you 
benefits there. Yes, sir. Would you deal with this? Humble yourself, which we hear so much. Mm -hmm. The Bible talks about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. And the Bible talks about humbling yourself. As we said earlier in this study, your flesh wants credit. Your flesh wants credit. I've been pretty righteous. Oh God, I'm glad I'm not like this other person who does this and does that. I fast, I tithe. I, remember the prayer of the Pharisee versus the other? And the other guy says, oh, have mercy on me, a sinner. What did Jesus say? That guy's prayer was heard. What does the Bible say? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Now listen, you don't have to pray prayers like, oh God, I'm a horrible sinner and all this kind of stuff. No, no, you've been made righteous through Jesus and he sees you as righteous. But you need to, as Allison talked about, renew your mind. And you need to daily push the flesh away. Romans chapter 3, Paul says, says uh, sorry, chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says it this way. He says, let no one think more highly of himself than he ought but each with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God's given. How we humble ourselves is we simply acknowledge, God, I still can't do this, but you will. My flesh wants to get the credit. My, my flesh wants to get some points for doing this, but only you can do this for me. You know what? I could easily, because of how God has gifted me, walk into the pulpit in pride. As I travel and people pay, pay money for me to get on a plane and go speak the word of God where they are. And I show up and they're excited because Jim Johnson is coming. And in my flesh, I could say, watch what I can do here. But I have to humble myself every single time or his spirit will not flow. I must say, Lord, I'm not resting on a past anointing. I'm not going to rest in the gifts that you've given me in my own strength. I have to say no to my, myself and acknowledge I still need you to teach this word through me. Amen. That's why I pray before I teach and preach. Why? Because it reminds me that it's got to be him. You know, I learned humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Yes. That's a good way to do it. Yeah, we have a tendency sometimes to have false humility. And actually, we're, 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 we're priding ourselves by saying how bad we are. We're actually glorifying ourselves in the same way. I got to do one thing before we go here because I don't want to stop here. I want to I do one last thing. Um, some of you may not know it, but, but Paul quoted in chapter uh, 3, verse 11 from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And we know the, the passage. We know the quote, the righteous shall live by faith or the just shall live by faith. I'm going to give you two more accurate translations of that, Okay. A more accurate translation of Habakkuk 2.4 would be, He who is righteous as a result of faith shall live thereby. Alright? He who is righteous as a result of faith shall live thereby. Or, the righteous man shall live through faith. The righteous man shall live through faith. Folks, it's a continual living in this daily life of faith. Now, Here's the, the good news. Doctrine has great news for you. We've already seen that those of us who try to earn God's favor in our own effort are under a curse because the law demands perfection. Your own energy demands perfection and where it did. But the good news is Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Later on, if you want to look at Deuteronomy 21, verses 21, 22 and 23, that's Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23, you'll see that the law said, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. 
And what was Jesus? What happened to Jesus? He was hung on a cross. And He took the curse for us. Romans 5, listen to what it says. Romans 5, 8. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get it right and then He acted. He acted in our behalf before we even realized our need. He died for us while we were still sinners. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. Let me get it to it here. For our sake... He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at this. It's even more than just the fact that He took away your sin. Listen to close again. For our sake, He, God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. If you believe that Jesus took away your sin, you have to believe that you have Jesus' righteousness too. Did he, did he take your sin on the cross? Then you must believe that you have His righteousness. There's been a swap. So on a scale of 1 to 10 right now, those of you who are in Christ, how does God see you? You're righteous. But, but, but I'm not living like it. Don't worry. Whose job is that? His. That's the good news. Folks, listen to me. Start believing it and, and pray that God help you see when you start trying to help him get you there. Don't try. It's life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Don't add anything to Jesus. Yes, ma'am. All right. The Habakkuk, the two retranslations of it. He who is righteous as a result of faith shall live thereby. He who is righteous as a result of faith shall live thereby. Or the righteous man shall live through faith. Amen. Yes, sir. The RSV says, he, through, he who through faith is righteous shall live. That's it. That's it. Mark, you want to say something? Yeah, I struggled my whole life with this condemned heart of mine. And boy, when I read this verse recently, it became my new favorite verse. And it says, For our, if, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart yep. and knows all things. You got it. With that, we can all say goodnight. Exactly. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that I sensed as well in my spirit and in this room that this truth is starting to take hold. Oh, God, the enemy wants to come in and say, well, what about this? Or what if, Lord, may we believe that he who began this good work in us will finish it. May we be confident of this thing. Lord, may we understand that it's you. Lord, may we understand that even though we still struggle against the flesh in some way that's hard for us to grasp, as Paul said in Romans chapter 7, it's no longer I who do it. It's sin living in me. Lord, we know that you're going to deal with sin. And your word says that you, in 1 John chapter 2 that you had John write these things so that we wouldn't sin. But if we do, we have an advocate. We have a, one working on our behalf. Father, may we begin to live in the Spirit in faith in the same way in which we received you. And Father, thank you for your patience with us who have been used, unfortunately, of the enemy at times to teach man's effort in living the Christian life. Father, may we walk in yieldedness to your spirit, in your spirit, and Lord, I know we'll begin to see it and the people around us will begin to see it and we look forward to saying we didn't do it. You did. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.